out. Good morning, everyone. It is really, really good to be here with you this morning. I'll say during uh, the word this morning, I'll just say a little bit about how God called us here, just so you know a little bit of the backstory as well. And uh, just think of Mike's word there. I'll speak into that in one little bit in this as well. So I thought that was a really interesting word he just brought. So um, now the word I've got, actually, the Lord started talking to me about this time last year out of the book of Ecclesiastes. And I felt it was quite a prophetic, different things he gave during that. Little did we know how prophetic it would be for us as a family at that stage. You never know these things when the Lord talks, the actual implication and the application of it. So we're going to... Um, going to look at uh, uh, Ecclesiastes 3, if you've got your Bibles, or if you've got your Bible on your phone. Um, if you are using your phone, um, I was in a meeting once, sitting in about the uh, fourth, floor, uh, fourth row, and we had a guest speaker, and all the time the guest speaker was speaking, his wife was doing shopping on her phone. <laughs> Seriously, I couldn't believe it thought she's shopping. She, wasn't, she must have heard maybe the message a few times, maybe around the different churches. So, yeah, but uh, you can access it both ways. Let me just tell you a little story first. A friend of mine's a pastor in another town, and he told me this story a little while ago. And he said he was walking through one of the streets of his town, and he saw this little lad on the front porch of a house trying to reach the doorbell. And uh, he thought, being a kind pastor, he thought, oh, I'll go and help this little lad. So he went onto the premises, cli um, climbed up onto the porch, and he said, what are we doing then, little man? He, he said, oh, thank you. I can't reach the doorbell. Could we ring the doorbell between us? And he said, yeah, sure. So pastor, my friend, rang the doorbell, and the little lad looked and started walking away. And he said, whoa, 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 what are you doing? He, he said, what are we doing now? He says, we're running away now. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> so my friend went to help, and it wasn't his house at all. Now, who in their youth has ever done that, apart from me? Yeah, it's a bit of honesty. I, I did that with a neighbor once. He just reminded me of that until he hid in his alleyway and caught us one evening and gave me a great big kick here, which you could do in those days, couldn't you? <laughs> You wouldn't get away with kicking a child now. So uh, anyway, so let's have a look at this passage. Um, I was reading a story about uh, some of you remember Bishop Sandy Miller, who used to be the vicar at HDB. When I was very much involved in Alpha back then um, in the 90s, Sandy Miller was the vicar there. And he's a very, very humble guy. He's one of the most humble guys I have ever met, actually, and uh, it's a lovely guy. And there's a lady, uh, two ladies in the church there. I read this, um, read this uh, recently, and one of them was saying, "What a waste to her friend." And the woman was talking about Sandy Miller, who had practiced successfully as a lawyer for about ten years before leaving it all behind to become an ordained minister. And her friend said, "What do you mean, what a waste?" And the woman said this, such a waste, he could have made a fortune and been at the very top of the legal profession. Think of what he could have achieved. And uh, her res friend responded to her, think of what he has achieved. She was thinking of the impact of 
Sandy's ministry on thousands of people across the world whose lives have been changed, marriages have been enriched, and churches renewed. Many had found through his ministry love, hope, peace through encountering Jesus Christ as a result. And um, many have given up a successful career like that. And in the eyes of the world, um, they don't know why people come out of that to, you know, lead churches going into their ministries. They think they've lost all the prospects there. And, um, but there's a high calling in doing that. And Sandy Miller knew there was a high calling and purpose that far exceeded what the world could promise him. Of course, those who are called to serve the Lord in secular places of work or who are called in any sphere of influence, whether it's at the school, whether it's, you know, wherever you work, wherever you meet with people, that is just as high a call. And it's knowing the purpose that the Lord has for each one of us. It's not the job or career, but the goal you pursue. So what, first question, I'm going to ask you a few questions this morning, if that's all right. What is the goal that you're pursuing in your life in this season? Many people go through life and they waste their lives, actually. No purpose, no meaning, no goal. Other people do have a goal, but often it's the wrong goal, and they end up chasing something that is utterly meaningless. Many reach the top of the ladder of success only to find that they've been leaning against the wrong wall. Purpose in life is far more important than property, possessions. Having more to live with is no substitute for having more to live for. And it's been said, I know Nicky Gumbel says this, the two greatest days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. I think that's a great little quote right there. You see, the Lord, God created us with a purpose in mind. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So we come to our passage here, and I'm not going to get beyond verse 1, actually, this morning. Um, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. This was written, what people termed as the golden age of Solomon, um, he experienced quite a lot, and quite a mixed bag with him, really. But where God and devotion to God was central to his life, where he used the gifts that God had given him, he had godly wisdom, as we know, and we see some of the ripple effects of Solomon's ministry. The richness and the wisdom of the book of Proverbs, the creativity and poetry of Song of Songs, and the wisdom and thought provoking nature of this book here and um, there are times and seasons so just have a look at um, this picture that's just about to appear it's the next one there we go look there we go weak wi-fi talk to each other pretend it's the 90s 
we didn't have mobile phones and Wi-Fi or any, well, there was, but we weren't on our mobile phones all the time. It was a different time. It was a different season. Have a look at the next picture, a local one for you. Do you recognize where that is? That's Marshall's, the original garage on the roundabout down the road. That is taken in the mid-60s. And look at that, the car wash was two shillings or 10 pence at that time. A gallon of petrol was 25 pence, the equivalent of five shillings. Crikey, you imagine you could fill up, couldn't you, for about £2.50 if that's the case. Is that right with my maths? It is, isn't it? but it was a different season. It was a different time. And Solomon's talking about here, for everything there's a time, for everything there is a season. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon writes about the paradox of life, showing God's timing and sovereignty over all things. He invites us into a perspective of balance and trust in the Lord of all. And chapter 3 starts with this faith, faith statement, that the cycles of time are appointed. If you go back two chapters to chapter one, he had said, meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher, utter meaningless, everything is meaningless. And he comes to a conclusion that based on reason alone, so we've got a faith statement in chapter three, but going back, he concluded the cycle of natures through time were vanity, if it's through reason alone. It's like trying to grab vapor is how I would describe what he's writing there. And he realized the futility of discovering purpose in life through reason, through experience, through accomplishment, pleasure-seeking. And then he returns and says, well, faith makes sense of everything. If it's faith in God, then there's purpose, there's reason for living. All things are appointed and have an appointed time. So we've got the first two chapters going through this cycle there, reason, experience. He led to the conclusion that life is just random repeat for no apparent reason, but with faith. God is the foundation of understanding. Now all the cycles are part of an intricate and specific plan for every activity under heaven, it says there. It's interesting he uses the term under the heavens here, under heaven instead of under the sun, because the suggestion of this divine perspective, things may appear vaporous to our limited perspective, but not from God's. As we contemplate God's sovereignty over the cycles of life, we're choosing to look at life in a certain way. We're choosing to look at it from a faith-based perspective perspective instead of a self-centric perspective, how many people look at life from their own point of view, from a selfish point of view. And the major takeaway from Ecclesiastes is that we can't really control much of life, but the difference between enjoying and hating life stems directly from how we choose to see it. The perspective we choose on how we look at life determines whether we are fulfilled or frustrated. And Solomon, de Solomon declares that in God's wise plan, everything is appropriately 
timed. He works in seasons. There are different seasons in our lives. And he calls us for purposes within a season, I believe. And it may be different purpose, different direction that we go in, in different seasons. And in that context, I want to bring specific application for you today. So throughout the whole chapter, the idea is propounded. There's an appropriate or appointed time for all of life's experiences. Now, has anyone ever laughed at an inappropriate time, apart from me? I'm terrible. I'm terrible. I'm good. I'm glad I'm, I'm not alone. I'll give you one example of when some of you and I used to be in the, uh, the police force. Um, we were involved in the, if you go back, I was in the police force during the time that uh, Maggie Thatcher was prime minister. It was that sort of whole period. And you may remember at that time there were loads of riots that went on across the country. And so we were the first wave of policemen trained uh, for riots, actually. And you remember all the riot gear that came in and everything. So we had this training. And this one occasion on training, we had training, it was they put you through the real thing. And the unfortunate thing was the crowd were a police as well. And they just wanted to hurt you, basically. That was the training exercise that I'm going to tell you about. We had 17 people put in hospital. They just went over the top. It was, you wouldn't believe it, actually, some of the things that went on back then. If you've seen, if you've seen Life on Mars, that series, or it was like that. It was that era. I've worked with some of those people. And um, so... If you look at the, uh, the, this, so I was in the, the middle at the front that day, and my mate was there, mate was there, you've got two people behind, and the sergeant is behind, and others, other, and so that's how it was done. So they were training us, and it was real live petrol bombs exploding all around, and bricks being thrown at us. They put you through the real thing. Hope, uh, oh, they probably changed it now, <laughs> but they did at the time. And as we're going forward, this petrol bomb exploded under our feet. Now, there's probably a little bit of laughter because the adrenaline is running at this point. And I looked down, and I was fine. It all came up. My friend was on fire. His trousers had caught fire. So I go to tell him, and I started laughing. And it was nerves, I think, thinking, he's on fire. And it was about a minute before I could tell him. He looks down, we managed to get it out. He's laughing as well. So we got all these bricks hitting us, and uh, he's on fire. I'm not very helpful there, am I? Because I'm laughing so much. He was fine, by the way. We did have to wait for the 17 pl other police officers injured that day to be released from... Uh, hospital so um, but it was an inappropriate moment to laugh is the point uh, I'm making and it's similar when we can be trying to serve God in a way that is beyond the grace level that he gives us for this season and God wants to encourage you in this season I believe and the first way is to understand it's a time to know the measure of ministry you have to serve God in this season let me tell you a story about that. But only a little while ago, I was having a conversation. We went to see a couple, and the lady was feeling really, really guilty. She was um, feeling guilty. She had type 1 diabetes. She wasn't mobile because of that, so had to rely on lifts. She's got two elderly parents who are both poorly, 
And she was feeling really, really bad that she couldn't do the things that she was once able to do in a previous season because she wasn't, you know, she just wasn't sort of fit enough physically and for a few other reasons as well. Um, but we were able to, and Vanoli was able to minister peace to this lady. And um, she said, look, you're doing what you can do. You're showing them love, you're caring for them. They understand that. They love you to bits. And they understand that. And they know that you're doing all you can do for them with the limitations of your own health. And um, she was once able to do a lot more for her parents in a previous season. But really, in the season she was in, she was doing all she could do in that season. And that's the same for us. Romans 12, 3 to 8. Let me just read it to you. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is amongst you, not to think of himself or herself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. And for uh, we ha have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to you, let us use them. If it's prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in ministry. Um, he who teaches in teaching, who exhorts in exhortation, and he who gives with uh, liberally, um, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. And so Paul's writing there, he says each one of us has got a measure of ministry. We have a measure of faith to operate within that uh, uh, ministry. We have uh, gifts to use and we have a grace level as well. So we've got these different measures um, that all work together. And it's important for us, the important thing is to recognize the season we're in and what God is calling us to do in this season. So we all have these measures. We've all got a measure of ministry there. Let's do all we can within the measure that God has given us with humility, but not feeling down ourselves because we think we should be doing maybe what we've done in a previous season like that lady. It took the pressure off. Vanelia were able to pray for her and speak into her situation, took the pressure off. And she realized, I'm doing what I can do in this season. And that guilt was lifted off. That's the grace level that uh, she suddenly realized. And the interesting thing here, the faith that he talks about here is a measure of faith, metron in the Greek, where we get the word meter. It's a standard of measurement, not an amount. So he's not talking about the amount of faith, but it's the standard of faith. And we've all got that. It's saving faith. Tim Keller, who recently went to be with his Lord, said this. Paul is saying all of you have been given your saving faith in Christ crucified and that is how you are to measure yourself. And there's some really good application when we realize that. We must realize that we're all the same. 
regardless of background, abilities, we're all saved in Christ, and God loves each one of us equally. It's a measure of faith that gives us that. And so he says here, Paul's saying that the gospel prevents us from thinking more highly of ourselves than we should. We're all sinners, all our efforts only earn judgment. We're saved because of another person's kindness, because of Jesus' kindness to us. So we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves, but it also prevents us from thinking more lowly of ourselves as well. We're saved sinners, but we're loved and valued in the gaze of the only one whose opinion ultimately matters. And that's our, that's our Lord, isn't it? That's God. The way God sees us, he doesn't see us as being dull. I'll come to that in a minute. I've got a nice application for that, Mark. So a good measure by which we evaluate ourselves is the gospel we believe. Because one of the reasons is this measure we remember our identity in Christ. So, for example, the Bible tells us that we're masterpieces. Have you ever thought of yourself as a masterpiece? Probably not. Probably not. If you don't believe me, let me show you. Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, workmanship, that word there, is translated as masterpiece, which means God's supreme work in progress. So you are all God's supreme work in progress. That's what a masterpiece is, is it's being painted by the artist. It's a supreme work in progress. It's a work of notable excellence. Have you thought of yourself like that? You are a work of notable excellence. You're made in the image of God. That still blows me away. We're made in the image of God. God breathed in man his own breath, his essence, his presence, and gave us his will. You see, the way we see ourselves makes a huge difference when we then apply ourselves to what God's calling us to do in this season. Some of you may have read um, or may remember Fred Lemon. He had a remarkable salvation where he was plotting to murder one of the prison officers when three men in suits appeared in, his, in the middle of the night in Dartmoor, I think it was, appeared in his cell. And it was God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who all had a chat with him and changed him drastically and uh, it's a brilliant testimony. You have to just read the book. That's the bit of his salvation. And he would walk through a crowd saying, make way for a prince. Because he understood, he would. He'd be, you'd be here like that and he'd be walking through, make way for a prince, make way for a prince. Because he understood his identity in Christ. He understood what Paul writes about here in Ephesians, that he was a masterpiece, a notable work of excellence. Turn to a person next to you or near you and say, are you aware that you are, in God's sight, a masterpiece? So we just need to dwell here so the truth of this just really resonates.
Okay, we'll do that again in a moment. You see, if you have an identity based on self-image, we'll feel quite worthless, actually, without potential, without hope of excellence. You're likely to give up, become dejected and disillusioned. But if we have an identity based on the self-image that you are a masterpiece in the making, the way God sees us, with vast potential for excellence, you're going to have a lot of hope. There's a lot of hope embedded in that. You're going to have a lot of enthusiasm for life and a desire to pursue all that God has for you in this season. Now, turn to the person next to them and say, I am God's masterpiece in the making. And believe it. This is the key. And believe it. I you don't get quite such a lot of noise around the room there because it's sort of going in. Now we're all talking about myself. I am a masterpiece in the making. And of course, Paul writes that we're masterpieces created in Christ Jesus to do good works. If we see ourselves the way God sees us and we're secure in our self-identity because that's how God it's what God gives us in Christ. And being a masterpiece is just one part of it. If we see ourselves that way, we'll have a great desire to fulfill all God calls us to do. All the plans, all the purposes um, that he has for us. How am I doing? It says in my notes, check time. I'm doing all right, aren't I? <laughs> it does. I can get lost in stories that aren't in the notes as well. But uh, okay, so that's gone in, and I'll move on from that. I think that dwelled long enough about being a masterpiece. So let me say, when when I left the police, I was offered a full-time position, and at first I said to the pastor, I said no. I said I love being a policeman, um, and he was offering me somewhere where I thought, hmm. And I just rejected it. I didn't, when you're singing about waiting on the Lord, I didn't wait on the Lord, I didn't seek God. And uh, the Holy Spirit got me about a few days later and said, you didn't really give me a chance there, just sort of prodding me. So I thought, okay, I better seek the Lord. And uh, a lot of people had a lot of faith for me. That would be a good thing to go into full-time ministry. And so have you ever prayed for some period of time and you've not heard anything? Well, I had a period like that, and in the end, I, I drove out into Windsor Great Park, and I'm sitting in my car, and by that time, I'm praying silly prayers. And, you know, just open the Bible, speak to me right there, and, and it was nothing at all. And then I was sort of praying, just, just send an angel to appear, make it really, really clear, and it was like nothing. And then I hadn't noticed whilst I was doing that, because I probably felt a bit desperate <laughs> by that time. And um, it was just all part of the learning process and waiting on the Lord in peace which uh, so I, I just shut the Bible looked up and there was a camper van that had drawn up here and there was an elderly couple with their flask having a cup of tea just sitting and the Lord in that moment spoke to me and I felt him say I'll still bless you Keith if you stay in the police but I've got something else for you and it's like I saw myself in years to come sitting in that camper van, not had, having been obedient to the call of God and wondering, what if? 
what if I, my life, I had been obedient in those? And that was it. I thought before I could think that through anymore, because my brain can be over analytical sometimes, I just drove down to the church, banged on the pastor's um, door and said, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. God's spoken to me. So what I learned in those moments is so important to know what God's saying. It's so important to know the call of God and what he's calling us to do there. And um, a few seasons have passed. God has really honored me over the years, actually, and I made the right decision. And the Lord has led me through, not without his difficulties, not without difficult times where things maybe haven't gone according to plan, but because I knew it was the call of God, there was no looking backwards over my shoulder. And he's really honored me and, and blessed me over the years. And then he gives me this word, little did I know such a big personal application that it would be for us. And so back in May, let me tell you about coming here. I was approached by Malcolm Kays, who most of you will know, uh, it was the leader's day, um, end of a leader's day, and he said, Keith, could I ask you a question? And then we had this little conversation where he talked about you guys here and Jubilee Church and, you know, asking whether we would consider praying and just, uh, you know, coming to Shepparton. And so I laughed, actually, because we'd, we'd known the church here and um, Anovia was a part of it, uh, a few years ago and we've known a lot of people here so it was just I went back and told Vanolia she had the same reaction and so basically we we just started praying and seeking God we had a season of praying exploring the opportunity and um, the Lord has said to me just before that that I have one I have a, another a, one more adventure for you and one more adventure is the implication it's somewhere else than you are you know, at that time. And so we were seeking, is this the call of God and needed to hear? And we really took this not lightly at all. We prayed, I suppose, a five-month period to the beginning of November, really. And um, we <coughs> were both given scriptures out of Nehemiah, actually. And um, I'll speak more into that when we're here, really, about rebuilding and how it was everybody that got involved in the rebuilding. Um, hence this meeting about what are we all called to here. And um, so, so we had verses that resonated, and then we prayed for confirmations, had two prophetic words, actually. One of was a friend of ours in Wales who was woken up in the middle of the night. I said, I'm glad you were woken up in the middle of the night, David, who just spoke into this situation without knowing much about it at all and um, out of one of the Psalms and um, Psalm 143 verse 8 where it says may your gracious spirit lead me forward on a firm footing and he talked about clear momentum with the wind of the spirit and that song I don't know if you know that song wind of the spirit I've been sort of in my mind going round and the moving forward was relevant and then we prayed for, I've come to the second second uh, prophetic word, we prayed for signs as well. We prayed for the Lord would give us clear signs, confirmation. And <coughs> I don't know if anyone has, um, you might not have done, but if anyone has read my book, 
But in chapter 11 of the book, we had a, Sister Nodia and I had a really supernatural experience where we saw the glory of God, physically saw the glory of God over us in the sky over a period of time. And the Lord reminded me, that's over Shepparton, because where we saw it is Wadham Close just down the road. It was standing in Wadham Close, looking up in the sky, which was near where Venolia used to live. And he said, the glory of God had personal application for us at the time. It was just before we were getting married, and, and, and you, can, you can read it in the book, the full thing. But he just reminded me it was over Shepparton. And he said, and that's for Shepparton now. So, I mean, that's, that's a wonderful, exciting thing, actually. You know, I'm talking about the glory of God, and I can't fully describe what we saw with the colors and everything, but it was beautiful. So he said, I've given you a sign, Keith. And so that was quite clear. So then we went on holidays, it was October, and we go down to a little place called Felpham in West Sussex. And I, I went for a long walk to pray and um, came back, and afterwards, Vanolia said, did the Lord say anything to you? I said, no, nothing, nothing. I've been praying all the way along the beach. So I went a long way around the bend to the next bay, and everything came back, nothing. So the next morning, we were due to leave. We took Abigail down just to say, which you do with a four-year-old, say goodbye to the sea and things like that. And <laughs> it was quite a fine day, bit of cloud in the sky, no rain at all. And we looked up, and the glory of God just appears, as if to say, Keith, just in case you didn't get this, I'm here. This is, well, and it was just through the cloud, the greens and the golds and everything was just there for a short period of time, wasn't it? And um, I'm looking, thinking, is that a rainbow? Because I didn't recognize what I was looking at first time in Shepherd and Vanolia each time says, no, that's the glory of God. And then, you know, you realize, don't you? <laughs> and she, it was the same conversation. So we knew then. And that was when, you know, in our heart, we knew that was the right call. It was the call of God. And um, the final bit. So over the last few years, really, the Lord had he spoke to me. When I was at, um, where was I at the time? When I was in uh, Slough, and he said, "I'm going to take, I'm going to take you west." So that westward mo movement over the years was to Wokingham, and then it was to Caversham, and then it was actually working into Wales a bit in my friend's church and helping them. So it was all west movement. So I went to the two days prayer and fasting. And I'm, this is in my mind, saying, Lord, you've spoken to us here. I've made the decision, but I, I, can't, I can't work out this West movement because Shepparton is clearly East. So anyway, so I sat down. This is all in my brain. And Chris Kilby, one of the leaders in the worship, stands up. He says, I've got this prophetic word. I have no idea what it means, but it's all about a movement East. <laughs> and it was like, attention to detail, Lord, wasn't it? It's absolutely the way he knows us so well. He knows how my mind works. It's like tying up loose ends, isn't it? He says, I've got this movement east. I don't know what it means. I thought, I know what it means for me because it's what's going around in my head. So that was the final confirmation, really. So what I'm saying in that, Vanolia and I feel called to come 
to Shepparton, to serve the Lord, to serve all you lovely people here. And, you know, that we work together, you know, and see the kingdom of God come through this wonderful church. This church has got a great heritage as well. But it's got an inheritance in this season, I believe, because it all works together. So I have, in concluding two questions. What are you called to do in this season? In the time of Nehemiah, they all were called to something to play their part. And secondly, are you using the gifts to serve God and operate in the measure of ministry that he has for you in this season? So what are you called to do? And are you using the gifts He's got for you. And I felt this prophetically out of John 2, verse 10. You remember Jesus' first miracle where he turns the water into wine. And the master of the ceremonies there said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And I found the application for that was... What you're called to do might not be your experience of a previous season. You might be like that lady, a bit frustrated that I can't now do what I once did. But the grace, there's a grace level given to you in this season where you can do the best things, some of the best things that you've ever done in serving God. And I believe God would encourage you in that maybe you feel you've not achieved all you could for god well, i believe this season gives you that opportunity think actually i wanted to achieve this and do that well we have an opportunity right before us to do that we're all masterpieces we're all really loved and god wants us to use everything he gives us his glory you know we've had the privilege of physically seeing the glory of God over Shepparton his name can be really glorified through here in this season a lot of good things have happened in the past here from this church but it's a new season and I believe the Lord's got a wonderful plan there and my last question as we do as we understand what we're called to specifically in this season understand that we Use the gifts God has given us. What will be the ripple effect of your ministry in this season? I talked about the ripple effect of Sandy Miller's ministry right at the beginning. I believe the Lord would say, what will be the ripple effect of your ministry? I just believe if we honor God, God will honor us as he did with Solomon, the author of that verse we read and had looked at. Let's pray together. I just feel if you're, if you're open to those questions, if you want to serve God and use the gifts that he has given you, if you want to seek him to see specifically the call of God in your life uh, in this season, could you stand with me? I'm just going to pray for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with us already. Um, but just for the Holy Spirit to minister to us. And maybe just put your hands like this, just show an openness to God.
we, he just calls us to be obedient and be open to what he's calling us to do. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for our identity in you. Thank you that we are notable works of excellence. We're masterpieces in the making. And we, only because of you, Lord, only because of you. Thank you, Lord, that that gives us hope, that makes us understand just a little bit more how much we're loved by you. I just pray through your spirit right now, you would give us fresh revelation of how much you love us, how much you care for us. Lord, you're a good God. Lord, you're a faithful God. You never change. Thank you that you've called each one of us to something in this season. And I just pray, Lord, that this would be a time where we're just seeking you. Lord, if you've already spoken to us, just bring some sign or confirmation that we are right where you want us to be. If Lord, if there are folks seeking you at this time, that you would speak really, really clearly, Lord. And Lord, let us be a people, Lord. I thank you that you gifted us, Lord, in so many ways. We heard some of that gifting through the prophetic earlier. Lord, we heard that wonderful story of people getting saved, Lord, and the knock-on effect from that. Lord, there are so many different gifts in this room, Lord. Let us just all be operating, Lord, in what you've given us, Lord, during this time. And Lord, when we do that, who knows the ripple effects that we'll see from here. Thank you for this church. Thank you, Lord, that, Lord, when you're involved, there's nothing that's meaningless. Lord, our faith is in you. Thank you that you give us purpose. Thank you, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, help us to be the men and women of God that you're calling us to be. And help us to do all that you call us to do in this season. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please take your seats, Matt. Thank you.